welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 25th of March 2018, entitled The Ark of the Covenant, A Type of Christ, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 22. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram's skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have your word before us to read this evening. And Lord, we esteem it higher than anything that man could ever write. Father, we thank you also for your spirit that lives and dwells within us that can give us the understanding that we need. So, Father, we pray now that you'll take as we look into this passage of Scripture this evening. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Give us that which would 
Lord, from your word that would work in our lives and help us to be that which you would have us to be. Lord, help us to be as we as we looked in your word this morning. Lord, help us to be, Lord, conformed by a new thinking, a way that you can make us to think, conformed by the thinking that can only come from your word, Father. So we pray now, Lord, that, that you would help us, Lord. Help us as we take this time together this evening. May you be glorified and honored in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Of course, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. We find that here God begins his instructions to his servant Moses as to that which he wants Moses to accomplish in the work that he's to do, of course, in building the tabernacle of God where God himself will reside, where they will be able to commune with God. And it's interesting that this is to be done not by demand of what people have, but notice it is an offering that is being given, but he said there in verse 2, of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. This was the work of God that was to be done by the people of God with a willing heart because they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. They wanted to honor their God. But as we look at this, and we can read through these next chapters, and I've often said when preaching on this, this is one of the greatest examples of what we call free will offerings or love offerings in our churches today, those that give willingly, freely of their heart because of their love for God, because they want to be a part of God's work. And God certainly worked on the heart of this people to the point that if we were to read on over, we would find that as they began to bring their offerings in for the work of God to take place, that Moses finally had to stop them. He says, wait, stop. We've got too much. We've got more than we can ever use because they had such a desire. You don't find them, Moses, having to beg the people, come on, you want to do what's right? You want to do what's right for God? He just put to them what God had given to him. The people had a willing heart to take part. But I want to draw our attention tonight and, and probably over the next uh, a couple of Sunday evenings. Uh, well, we won't be here next week, but whenever we come back after that, we notice that the very first vessel, the first thing that God instructs Moses to make here was the ark, the ark of the covenant. That's what we just read. First of all, in verses 1 through, through 9, we read about his instructions to the people to bring their offerings and what they were to bring. And then in verses 10 through 22, we find the, the, the instructions for the building of this ark. Now, that didn't mean that the tabernacle had no value. This whole thing was there was going to be a tabernacle, but nothing else had any value apart from the ark. You see, it was the ark that we find here that was the presence of Jehovah God's presence. It was that that was there that signified the very presence of God and where God would be. We find that everything else, everything else had to take its relative value to the presence of God himself. I might ask you today, because, you know, today, rather than the tabernacle, we have these, these buildings of brick and mortar and wood and whatever they might be made of that, uh, that have been built to be the house of God. 
Matter of fact, the name of our church here is Bethel, Bethel in the Old Testament, simply meaning the house of God. But I wonder today, you see, the tabernacle would have had no value except for the presence of God within it. What value is a church today without the presence of Jesus Christ? You know, we can look around us. We've talked about, we touched a bit on our, on our solar system and all that God has, has created and all of these things. Well, what value is any solar system if you don't have the sun at its center? It can't exist. It's worthless. It's absolutely nothing. What is a body without a soul? It's the presence of the soul that makes that body of any value whatsoever. You see, what the ark was to the Israelites here is what Jesus Christ ought to be and needs to be to us and to our churches today. It's his ever presence. It's his all-sufficiency. It's his divine reality within us, that source of blessing that will never fail us, that source where we can always approach him. Now, we know that God doesn't just reside within this brick and mortar, but God resides today within his people, and it's his people that make up the church what I want is we look at this here, we, you know, just a few months back and year after year, we celebrate that, that time of year called Christmas. We're celebrating next Sunday, God willing, that, that celebration called Easter or Resurrection Sunday as we prefer to call it around here. But when we looked, you know, really Christmas is all about God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not about a God out there somewhere in the solar system. It's about a God coming to this earth and taking up his presence with us. I want you to notice a couple of things because, you know, there was no salvation in the tabernacle. There was no salvation in the ark itself. But the ark was itself symbolic of that which was to come. Everything within the tabernacles, we begin to look at it, we see the symbolism, the picture of what it meant. And I want us to just look at a few things about this Ark of the Covenant and how that relates to being a type of Christ in our lives. You see, who was it that was doing the speaking here? It was God himself. We find that the origin, the beginnings the whole existence of the ark was something that came from God itself. It originated from God. It was designed by God. It was revealed to man by God. We find that all of these verses that we just read in verses 10 through 22 is God's specific instructions as to how that this ark how that it would be designed, how that it would be uh, built, what that it would do since it was there. So we find that it was then that God made it very, very clear that this is where he would reside, there at the mercy seat, there in the presence of this place. I want to remind you with that in mind, God has, has I guess, here told Moses to tell the people. The people are being instructed by God's man who is Moses here, and he tells them that 
This is where that he is going to commune. Verse 22, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So that's where I'm going to meet with you. In the New Testament, we find this passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And of course, remember, Hebrews is called Hebrews because it was being written to the Hebrews, to the nation of Israel, to the same people that these instructions were being given to by Moses here in the Old Testament. But both Exodus and Hebrews are preserved in God's Word for you and I, for us today, for all those that belong to God. He says in Hebrews chapter 1, the very first two verses that he writes to these people, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God, this same God that spoke in Exodus, this same God who at all these different times and in different ways, he's spoken to his people. He's spoken unto the fathers by the prophets. He's spoken, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The same God that in all those times used his prophets just as he used Moses here to speak to his people in all kinds of different ways, but now that same God that spoke and revealed these things to us in times past is the same God that now in these days has spoken unto us by his Son, by Jesus Christ, who is heir of all things, who is over all things, who was there and created all things in the beginning. Folks, Thank God for all of his word. Thank God for the prophets that he used to record all of the Old Testament and all of those things that were there. But those things in those time past that he spoke through those prophets, they were all pointing to what he was going to say in Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ came to this earth. You see, from the very beginning, in Genesis when God created man in the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created by Him. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, there in the Ark of the Covenant, the very first thing when God was going to reside amongst His people. Now, God had spoken to His people. God was there in the Garden of Eden. But this here, when God called out His people, of course, He used Abraham to start with. His people had been in exile. He's brought them out of exile, out of Egypt, and He's using Moses here. God says, I'm going to reside with my people in this tabernacle, in this Ark of the Covenant is where that I want. That's where my presence is going to be. God's desire has always been to have a place for you and I, for mankind, for each and every one of us to have a relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't God that separated, God designed us, God was there, God gave us this perfect world to live in. 
It was when sin entered in that that fellowship was broken. We brought the sin. We brought the separation. But that wasn't God's desire for us to be separated from him. That's why that we know that even here, he says he's spoken to us in these last days by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Jesus didn't come into existence in the New Testament. Jesus was there with God in the very beginning. He gave them this place for them to meet with him for his presence in the Old Testament. And he did the same to you and I through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only place. That's how God has spoken to us. That's the only place that we can meet with him. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He said, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. There, he says, he's spoken to us in these last times through Jesus Christ, but when Jesus Christ came, the Bible says here that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. God always, from the time that we first sinned in the Garden of Eden and were separated from God by that sin, God has wanted reconciliation. God wants us to be there with him. God wants that fellowship with him. And the only way that that could happen was to deal with the sin problem. Isaiah the prophet put it this way in Isaiah chapter 32 Verses 1 and 2, he said, behold, look at this, behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. We put those words to music. We sing those words. Do we stop and realize what man is he talking about here? The same man in verse 1 that is the king that shall reign in righteousness is the same man, the king, King Jesus. He's the one that is our covert. He's the one that is our rock. He's the one that agreed it was all of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that chose that he was going to become a man. He was promised. He was prophesied of throughout the Old Testament. He was prophesied of right from the very first in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when they had sinned, Jesus Christ was prophesied. He was the one that would come and deal with that one that had led them astray. He's the one as a hiding place, as a covert from the wind and the tempest, not only from the storms of this life that may come against us and that are very real and troubling sometimes, but the greatest storm of all, the storm of God's wrath against sin. He's the only protection. You see, we don't begin to understand it is because of God's love and because of God's holiness that he also has this wrath towards sin because sin is what destroys you. It's what destroys everything. It's what destroys his creation. 
and his wrath will come against that sin. But you can be protected from that. He wants you to be protected from it. That's why Jesus Christ came. All of us deserve God's wrath against the sin in our lives. And man will face that wrath unless he is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every one of us, even here this evening, we could go around and this is not a large congregation, but we could go around this evening and it's amazing how many different backgrounds that are represented right here by the different races, the different nationalities, the different cultures that many of us come from. And yet, folks, we all came from Adam. We were all there in Adam. One of the, one of the most mind-blowing scientific facts that there is, all life originated from God. And God brought that first man. He created him there in the garden, and he breathed into him, and man became a living soul. He took from his side, and he created woman, man and woman. And as they were there in the garden, they were there together. They were to become one. But that sin separated them from their God. But yet within them, within that, God told them one of his very first things that he spoke to them was that they were to multiply. They were to replenish the earth, and they did, and their children, and their children, and their children. And I don't care what color your skin is or what language you speak or where you come from today, we all came from that first man, Adam. That was our source. We all were there in God but also in that one man, Adam, that we were created, that's also where our sin came from. <laughs> we can track ourselves right back to Adam as far as our physical existence, but we can also trace ourselves back to there for our spiritual darkness, that sin, that sin that comes down to each and every one of us. You see here the origin of the ark. I want you to realize it came from God. It came from God. And God was the one that designed it. And God was the one that instructed man on what to do with it. There is no difference, folks, the presence of God with us today. It is divine in its origin. Jesus Christ came from God. He was God. He came to this earth. It was designed by God. It was in his plan before the foundations of the world even. He came because he loved you, because he wanted that fellowship. You see, when he gave his people, when God called out his people and he gave his people these instructions to where he could reside, his presence be with them. It was God that originated it, God that designed it, God that revealed it to man. And I want you to realize there is absolutely no difference. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is God with us today, the Lord Jesus Christ, the same way. It was God's plan. He originated from God. He is God. He came to us. God revealed himself to man. In the Lord Jesus Christ, that's God amongst us. I want you to notice something else here. 
not only the origin, the designer of who it was and God that was giving this to them so that they could have his presence in their midst. Notice here in verses 10 and 11, the materials that this ark was made of. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. Now, you can estimate a cubit was about, about 18 inches, just shy of that. And, 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 and a cubit, he says here, that on the one it's going to be two cubits. So that would be just shy of three foot in, in, in one direction by a foot and a half by a foot and a half. He says, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof was made of shittim wood, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall, they, shall thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about it. So I want you to notice that the ark, God designed it, God planned it, God revealed it, but it was designed, first of all, it was made of wood, but that wood was completely overlaid inside and out with pure gold. You see, shittim wood is, it was, was one of the strongest. It, it was an incorruptible wood. But the pure gold reminds us of the pureness of the Lord Jesus Christ, his pureness as he came to us because he came to us. He came to us just as that wood, but he never lost his divinity is God. Two such different things, totally different in their nature. The wood and the gold could hardly be more different. And yet we find here that those were to be united as one. That in its human earthly nature, and that in its purity that would go around it. You see, the wood that was grown in the earth that represents Jesus Christ as one of us, his humanity, bone of our bone, Christ in this world, in his humanity. But the gold speaks of him as his purity and his glory because even though he came as man, he never ceased being God. John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That wood and that gold. It became as one. You see, it's the gold of his divinity that gave him the power and the preciousness and the glory and the beauty in order to be able to be the wood of his humanity that was incorrupted, incorruptible. That wood was totally enclosed in his glory as God. No other human being. There was nobody else that could die for our sin. There was nobody else that could bring to us what Jesus Christ brought to us. Incorruptible humanity alone would not have been enough to save us. Christ was divinely fitted to represent both God and man. He is our only intermediary. He is the only one that can know exactly what we are and who we are and what God is and who God is. He's the only one that can be that intermediary, that can at once represent us to God and represent God to us. That's Jesus 
That's what the ark taught. That's what the ark was showing them as God gave them this design of his presence with them. It was going to be in this structure that was built both of wood and then totally surrounded in its gold. It's humanity and its glory all at the same time. You see, God designed it. God sent it because he wanted, he wanted to reside with his people, the nation of Israel. But there was the only way that they could do it. It was only God's way today. God wants so very much to reside and his, his presence be within each and every one of us. All those Old Testament types, they were just that. They were temporary. They were types. There's no one else that could ever give man that permanent relationship except Jesus Christ. But he showed us. He showed us a foretaste. He showed pictures of that. He showed them what to expect in these types and whatnot although it was always, always, always only a picture of what the real would be. You see, even the nation of Israel, and we'll touch on this some more, even the nation of Israel, even though that they met with God there, even though as we read on, we find about all the sacrifices that were required, that were carried into the, into the tabernacle, that were sacrificed over and over. Remember, God's presence in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> That's where the ark was. That's where the mercy seat was. That's where that only one, that high priest was the only one that was allowed to go in there. And remember, he used to have to tie a rope around his ankle. They had to tie that around him because if anything ever happened that he didn't come out of there, they couldn't even go in to drag his body out. They had a rope tied around his ankle <laughs> so that if for some reason... <laughs> Man, he didn't get that sacrifice right. He was a goner. <laughs> they could just pull him out with a rope because none of them could go into the very presence of God. God presided there, but they only had that one intermediate. That high priest, Jesus Christ, became our high priest. He's the only one that can represent us to that holy God and represent that holy God to us, just as the high priest of the Old Testament I want you to just grasp and understand the beauty. The Old Testament never saved anybody, but it's the beauty of what he was showing us that was going to be. When Jesus Christ came, he's the one that went and set those Old Testament saints free and led them out of Hades that they might be able to reside with him forever. That's what God wants for us. We'll look at some more things about this. I just want you to begin to grasp the beauty of this ark the place that it was the very first thing that God had them build because this was the place that represented his presence with them. This is where that God would reside with them. This is the place that they would meet with him. We find that even there, everything that it came, its origin, its divine planning, its revelation was from God and even the materials that it was built of was symbolic of the Jesus Christ that would once and for all be the presence of God with us. Think about those things. Consider those things. Thank God that you and I today, God still wants to be present with us, and he will be present with us through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this evening. The Lord, as we consider this passage in 
the Old Testament and we look at these things, Lord, you've always had a plan from eternity past. Lord, as we have hinted at, as we've looked back to the Garden of Eden before you even built that first man, Adam, that each and every one of us have come from, Lord, we realize that you already had a plan in place. You didn't want us to break that fellowship by our sin, but you knew that we would. We know that before the world was even formed, you had the plan that you would send your son. Now here you've called out a people. In the Old Testament, you're working through the nation of Israel. Today, you're working through your church. Lord, you called that nation out, and there you've given them these, this symbolism because you wanted your presence with them, and you would have your presence with them. But, Lord, it was symbolic of that presence that each and every one of us could have for all of eternity. So help us as we look at these things, just to grasp the beauty of your plan and all that you've done for us and all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.